It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Here we go. Good Saturday morning. My microphone was was funny. I'm pulling it and it's like falling away from me and I'm pulling it back. I'm really glad this radio show isn't on television. Uh, Good Saturday morning. Wow, we have made it to another weekend. It's going to be a beautiful weekend. It's really not too chilly outside. Uh, Hovering around 60 degrees, but it's going to get a lot cooler this weekend. Had a high of around 83 yesterday. So we're just kind of doing that pendulum swing of the back and forth uh, the weather can't make up its mind whether it wants to stay hot or cool off permanently, so we won't know. Uh, 404 uh, As I mentioned last weekend, though, with it maybe getting down to the 40s uh, this weekend and maybe days this week, probably not a bad idea to go ahead and start making the habit of bringing in your houseplants. Um, anything that's been outside on the back deck, or a down in the yard or something like that, probably a good idea to start making room for those guys in the house. And thanks to a listener who gave me some great advice on orchids months ago, um, I think of orchids as houseplants, and I never once thought to bring them outside, which, duh, I don't know why I didn't, because they live outside. They, they're tropical plants. But uh, given his advice... I did bring my orchids outside on the back deck a couple of months ago and put them in a bright spot, but shaded, if that makes sense. So they're not getting direct sunlight. They're not beaten down, getting the leaves scorched. Uh, But it's a bright corner, let's say, of the deck, and they have put on new leaves. Now, I don't have any stems or flowers or anything at this point in the year, uh, but thinking about bringing those in, too, because I know they're not going to tolerate the colder weather uh, I think the the dwarf fig in a pot's going to be okay. Of course, if on the back deck you've got certain herbs and things like that, you've still got a little while that that will last. But any philodendrons or, you know, big houseplants, monstera or whatever that you've had outside, probably a good idea to bring them in. And croton. Croton is a really fun one from Florida, that colorful leafy one. And the leaf itself is kind of a thicker waxy leaf, but it can have some oranges and pinks and yellows and greens on it. Uh, those are great plants from Florida, and they make fun houseplants once you bring them inside. They just need to be in a really bright spot. And if you need any help whatsoever with your houseplants, you don't know if you have the low light, the medium light, or the high light houseplant, where it's going to be happiest in your home, go to pikenursery.com. Um, and in the search bar, you can just type houseplants. You can type the name of the specific houseplant you have. And I guarantee Pike will have an article categorizing which ones prefer what lighting so you can have them grow successfully and maintain them indoors throughout the colder months. Um, And thinking, too, about our bird friends with the change of weather, um, they, you know, there's certain migratory patterns happening now. And this is so interesting. Over the weekend, the Cornell Lab of Ornithology Um, in Ithaca, New York, and they sponsor the Great Backyard Bird Count that I talk about every February. We have Becca Radomsky-Bish on the show in February to get us excited about the Great Backyard Bird Count. But same group of folks, Cornell Lab of Ornithology, set a migration alert, and this was for Thursday night, uh, last night, and then a little bit into tonight. Half a billion birds are projected to be in the air last night as they head south on migration. So with Hashtag October Big Day coming up on Saturday today. It's shaping up to be great bird watching. It's also a great time to turn out non-essential lighting and check your windows for bird safety so that they don't, uh, you know, 
hit the windows. That's kind of sad when you have a window strike. Uh, putting the lights out, the light pollution can harm the birds, kind of throw off their migratory patterns. But that was really interesting. And it's funny because I was at the grocery store and when I walked down into the parking lot, I mean, I thought it was like Alfred Hitchcock's movie because I looked up and there were so many, I guess there were crows. I don't know what kind of bird they were, but I looked up and they were all swarming the top of the shopping center, flying across the street. There was hundreds of them, hundreds, and, and maybe they're starlings. I don't know. I couldn't tell. Um, but now this makes sense that I see this post this morning. And tonight, Saturday night, is the, the lowest of the three uh, when we break it down into, you know, millions that make up the billions of this migratory pattern. Uh, but tonight, maybe 349 million birds uh, projected to be migrating. And the highest population of the United States when looking at this map is kind of the Midwest and the Southeast, certainly. Now, out West, there's not a lot of stuff going on. But that's really cool. And also, a lot of you ask about hummingbirds, too. And it's been a few days since I've seen uh, hummingbirds at my feeder, but I'm still keeping the clean water out. They're not going through the water as quickly, but I'm, I'm keeping the clean food out there. Um, and there's a website, hummingbirdcentral.com. And I was kind of thinking that they have an interactive map where folks kind of chime in and say where they're seeing them and what types they're seeing them. And I have led a few of you listeners to this site thinking that we were going to be able to keep up with the migratory pattern as they go south this time of year, because that could have started back in September. Um, but actually the map, now that I'm looking at it, is only the spring migration. So the map is done as far as when they started coming back to the United States in the spring. So really, I don't know of a map that's actually going to show how many of them are left here, how many did migrate south if they already made it down there. Um, but nevertheless, any good information, reputable information for hummingbirds, anything you've ever wondered about them and the data and the little stats about them and all of that at hummingbirdcentral.com. I want to know what you've been seeing, too. Hopefully I'm not the only one that's noticing these things. Uh, 404-872-0750 is the number. A little sleepy this morning. We have a camping trip this weekend, so we're camping up on Lake Alatoona. Drove down from a little bit further than my normal commute would be this morning. And it's great weather this weekend. So I suggest you get out and there's a lot of things that you're able to do with the family this weekend. If you have time, yes, you have to watch football, of course, um, and listen to the dogs right here on your home of the dogs later on today with the 3.30 kickoff against the Auburn Tigers. But so much to be doing. And maybe that includes building a fire, sitting around the fire pit, of course, when we we're talking about football and sports. But Christina Edwards, uh, our meteorologist, has kind of kept me up to date all week from the National Weather Service. There are high fire danger conditions right now for parts of north and central Georgia. Low relative humidity, which you can definitely tell. It's been a little windy and just dry. We haven't had rain in a long, long time. Relative humidities of 25% or less can be expected for four or more hours. So dry, high fire danger conditions. Refer to your local burn permitting authorities, whether or not you can burn outdoors. Um, if you do, use extreme caution, and I think that's all very good advice uh, to be leery of. And if you're on a patio, on a deck, or something like that, you've got the fire pit, or maybe you're out in the yard, I would recommend, you, you've probably got the hose out because you've been hosing newly established trees and shrubs that you've recently planted. Um, you've been watering your cool season vegetable garden. You've been watering your containers on the back deck. 
So once you have that garden hose out, wet the area down around the fire pit or where you're going to be building the fire. Wet that area down. Have the hose nearby. Have a bucket of a five-gallon bucket maybe of water, watering cans nearby to decrease your risk of starting a fire because we know we don't want that to happen. So just be smart with it. Um, and don't burn unnecessarily, too. They recommend, you know, if you're burning yard debris or something like that, maybe wait uh, a couple of weeks if you can just kind of pile it all aside and be able to do that when the conditions are a little bit more favorable. And you're not going to spread that to your neighbor's house and yard. I'm sure they'd be appreciative of that. Um, and also something else to be doing, and you will thank me come spring. Uh, I took months off from composting. Didn't want to do it anymore. Too much to keep up with. And I've got my hot bin po- uh, composter down in the yard. It's kind of nondescript. It's a little black towered kind of deal. And I've got it uh, on the arbor where it's it's in sun. I don't really know if you have to have sun to be able to heat up that compost because I think just all of the microorganisms inside the compost itself is really what heats it up. And you'll know when you have the right mix of the green materials and the brown materials being able to really generate that heat. When you see a pile of compost steaming from time to time, that is a good thing. That's what you need it to do. Some of them will ignite. Uh, they get so hot, but you definitely want the temperature probably around 120 140 degrees. But uh, if you start doing that now in whatever capacity, whatever size you're able to do it, you really will be very grateful come spring and early summer when you're wanting to plant that vegetable garden. So start thinking about that now. If you just have a big container, something with a lid, something you can just dedicate to this when you've got all your kitchen scraps, you're cutting up an onion, uh, a lemon that you've used, you know, for zest or whatever that you're going to throw in the trash, even like baked potatoes. When you have the skins for baked potatoes, coffee grinds, eggshells, all of the like, maybe salad that you didn't get around to and it's looking kind of eh. So instead of throwing it in the trash, throw it all in the compost. Keep that somewhere in the kitchen, maybe not somewhere visible, uh, maybe somewhere under a cabinet or whatever, and then have a pile outside that you go add that to. And as you're picking up small limbs from the yard, dead uh, leaves that have fallen, um grass clippings that have not been treated with any kind of herbicide or anything like that, but grass clippings, also those that don't have uh, so many weeds that have gone to seed. But all of that kind of thing is going to be great for you to mix in together. So that's your browns, you got your greens, which are the living things uh, coming from the kitchen and all of that. And you will be really happy to start having that compost as well. So something to think about planning ahead. And speaking of planning ahead, Now is the time, too, to really start thinking about what bulbs you want to buy, whether you're going to start planting bulbs for winter blooms, for winter interest in flowers, or coming up in a few weeks if you're going to start planting those bulbs for spring, right? You're going to want to see the daffodils. You're going to want to see all these different things. So I am going to have my friends, Julie Garrity and Tracy Gables, on the show here in just a little bit coming up at 7 o'clock. Hello, Daisy Flower Farm and Retreat Lane Flowers. And they work with cut flower gardens. And I know they know more than I do about bulbs, what they're planning ahead, the flowers that they're going to want for certain arrangements come winter and spring. So hopefully you will call with questions for them. It could be anything. It could be about drying flowers, uh, the seeds that we want to keep and sow, maybe which ones they're thinking about planting now in a cut flower garden and thinking about the bulbs too. 404-872-0750. When we come back, the top three things to do in the landscape this weekend. You're listening to Ashley Frasca on 95.5 WSB.
The weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. Our meteorologist Christina Edwards calling for mostly sunny skies today and tomorrow. Highs hovering around the mid-70s low tonight, getting down to 48 in the low Sunday into Monday. It's going to be around 50. Currently, it's 58 degrees in Midtown Atlanta. Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. All right. I, I feel like I've been talking about this one a while. I guess I was just getting you amped up for it. But now is the time, number one, to plant garlic from an unpeeled clove. So if you have that in the pantry, why not? Try to plant some of it. Uh, now through early December, it's the time to do it. So you have a little while. It's frost hardy. It's going to mature in early summer. So you're going to have this planted in the garden. It's going to take up real estate until May or June. But take one clove each, plant them one to three inches deep, six inches apart. Mulching will help protect the bulbs from severe cold. But like I said, they're fine. They, they need that cold weather. Helps conserve moisture as well when you mulch. Irrigate after planting. And you're going to see those little green shoots come up out of the, the uh, garden. And then when they're ready to harvest come May or June, you'll kind of know because the green starts to wilt. It starts to yellow and starts to wilt. That's kind of the same for potato vines too, right? You never know when the potatoes are ready underground. Well, the vines and the leaves above ground kind of give you that indication. Number two, if you've been growing pumpkins, good for you. Keep them mulched and keep the weeds out. Also, you want to scout for squash bugs and vine borers. Best to avoid insects or insecticides, though. Because the remaining flowers on the vines are going to need visits from pollinators. But just you'll be able to tell the damage that you've had from vine borers or squash bugs. You can even pick them off by hand if you've got your garden gloves. And number three, design on a budget. Put out pumpkins. You can find them anywhere. Dried corn stalks, hay bales, even acorns and pine cones. Uh, colorful leaves that have fallen. Mums and pansies and violas are out and, and about now. So all of that for fall decor and collect those colorful leaves as they fall. And from Pike Nursery, start planning to move houseplants uh, inside, which I which I mentioned as well. One of the coolest uh, leaves that I have seen, I mean, tulip poplar leaves are pretty big, and they're turning a nice yellow right now. Um, but I found a leaf that had fallen off of my begonia plant. And, you know, the leaves are, of course, green on the uh, upper side. But underneath, it had fallen upside down when it fell off the plant. It's like a gold, and it's got red specks on the underside of the leaf. It's one of the prettiest leaves I've seen uh, to date. So I kept it, and I, I have a picture. I'll probably post it because I post to Facebook during the show, which is kind of multitasking to the extreme. Uh, coming up, speaking of Facebook, I have pictures from my husband and I's trip to Hillcrest Orchards. Went up to LJ last weekend, and this weekend's a great weekend to do so as well. So I am talking with the owner of Hillcrest Orchards, Janice Hale, in just a few minutes, telling you uh, what to expect maybe from your apple crops and your apple trees, what kind of year it's been, and all the fun things to do in LJ. So stay tuned. You're listening to Green and Growing on WSP. with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Hey, welcome back to Green and Growing right here on your radio. 95.5 WSB in Atlanta covering all of North Georgia 
and I know what a lot of you love doing in the fall. You like taking the family out, whether it's fairs or festivals, and of course, North Georgia is great for breweries and vineyards and apple orchards. So I know a lot of families have that as a tradition, and on the show, I've always wanted to give updates on the apple crops and things going on in North Georgia. Don't want to forget about our friends and farmers there. So I have with me this morning Janice Hale. She's owner, she and her husband, owners of Hillcrest Orchards. Hey, Janice, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning. And I got to say, my husband and I were up there last weekend and had a blast. No kids, just did our own thing, picked some apples, rode the wagon, uh, went to the petting zoo, and y'all really put on lots of entertainment for folks that come up. Yes, we do. We have lots of things for anybody to do, kids and adults, seniors, anybody. We have it all. (laughs) You do. You do. And everybody can find all of the attractions at hillcrestorchards.net. So check out the website. Um, When do we need to come visit for apple season, Janice? Well, we open Labor Day weekend, and we have you pick apples until they're all gone uh, throughout October. Uh, Our last weekend will be Halloween weekend. Usually by that time, they're pretty much picked over, though. So early is better than later, but we still have plenty of apples to pick. Now, what does the property turn to once apple season's over? Is it just maintenance and maybe planting some new trees? What do y'all do? Well, we close uh, Thanksgiving weekend, and about two weeks after that, we start pruning the trees. Every tree is pruned every single year. So we have thousands of trees, so that takes basically all the winter months and then in the spring uh late march we start fertilizing spraying and start all over again (laughs) yeah it's a cycle every year and i know you and i talked uh, off the air it is very weather dependent so let folks know kind of what you guys are heightened or on the lookout for in the spring and then what you really need to happen over the summer to ensure that you've got apples for folks to pick in october The main uh, battle we have in the spring is late frost because typically up here we have a warm spell in March and the apple buds will swell and even start to bloom or come out with little leaves and then we'll have a late frost and uh, it'll kill the bud. So that's what we fear the most are the late frost. But during the summer, it's a balance between too much rain, not enough rain, (laughs) too hot. (laughs) All of that matters because uh, if we have too much rain, you know, we have a lot of problems with fungus and rots. And then not enough rain, you know, the apples don't grow because they do need water. So it's a tricky balance. We're very dependent on the weather, not only for the growing of the apples, but in the fall for selling them because... All our activities are outside, Mm -hmm. and if it rains, people don't get out in the rain, which I don't blame them. Yeah, we're very dependent on the weather from all aspects of this business. Yeah, always praying for good fall weather, and we really got it last weekend and hopefully this weekend as well. Um, Talk to somebody, Janice, who doesn't have thousands of apple trees, but a few, a home orchard owner. Um, What is one of the, the... best pieces of advice you could give them about the importance of a spray regimen, not only for fungus, but for pests, too? Local County Extension Office has a homeowner's guide for apple growing, so I always encourage homeowners to go to their extension office and get one of those because it's very specific and it has things in there that just a homeowner can buy. You know, you don't have to have a pesticide license uh, to do it. 
starting early is the main thing. We start spraying with an oil spray, which smothers uh, the insect eggs. And we start that in late March. So it's key to start early. You don't wait until you see a problem mm-hmm. uh, before you address it. So preventative is a lot better than trying to fix it after you have it. And I'm sure you've seen it all. What What would you recall as your worst year and what was your biggest enemy that year? Well, we've had several over the years. Now, last year we had a really short crop due to a late frost. Um, this year we have a bumper crop. We have plenty of apples this year. And uh, last year was definitely a challenge with, you know, probably half a crop. Yeah. Oh, and this year was. I mean, this year's everything's looking fantastic. There's even apples on the ground, you know, because the trees are just an abundance of them. Folks walking around with their, their pecs, their bags full of apples. Um, so that's really good for you guys this year, and it makes it a lot more enjoyable. Tell me, with these thousands of apple trees that you guys have on the property at Hillcrest Orchards up in Ella J, how long did it take from when you guys started this plan and your family was working on this to really establish the orchards to where they are now? Well, my dad started in 1946 when he got out of World War II, and uh, then we took over later on when they retired. But we started the... Um, agritourism part of it in 1993 and that's when we started to plant all dwarf trees so kids can reach the apples on the trees and they can pick their own because that's basically what we are a kid place uh families with young children come and and pick apples from the trees so it's been a process and we plant new trees every year uh, we push out some of the old ones and put new ones in so that we're always, you know, having new varieties or new trees coming along. And we picked up six fried apple pies and two fritters to go. And you tell me all of that stuff, the apple butter and the jellies and the cider, all made right there on site. Yes, we make our, we're kind of famous for our fritters because you can get them hot right out of the fryer with ice cream on top. And some people drive up here just for that. Uh, we also make our own apple cider donuts. You can get those hot right out of the fryer. We have our bakers in the window so you can actually watch them yeah. making it. So you know it's fresh. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun to watch her. And then she was watching us and smiling as everybody went yeah. through and picked what they wanted. Well, Janice, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to fill folks in on really what goes on behind the scenes of an apple orchard. And again, tell folks how to find you guys online so they can make it up one of these weekends. Yes, uh, you can see our website at hillcrestorchards.net. We're on all the social media sites, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that. So we'd love to see you this weekend. And uh, it looks like it's going to be a beautiful day, Saturday and Sunday. We're open 9 to 6. So just come on to the mountains. Expect a a short traffic jam there on the highway, but otherwise, (laughs) once you get through that, it is so worth it. Janice Hale, owner of Hillcrest Orchards in Ella J. Appreciate you being on Green and Growing. All right. Thank you. And this time of year, kind of geared toward the mountains, too, and North Georgia and thinking about the orchards and the corn mazes and the pumpkin patches and things in North Georgia, uh, but also 
everyone driving up there and making their trips to the mountains to see the leaf color, right? The fall color change. And so coming up at 720 every Saturday this month, uh, Seth Hawkins joins us from the Georgia Forestry Commission with an update on Georgia Leaf Watch. And it's happening. You know it's happening. You don't even have to go to North Georgia to see some of the brilliant colors already. So he'll tell us what the trees are that are most colorful right now. You're seeing some in Metro Atlanta already. 404 872 0750. So, so glad that Janice is getting people up to LJ because it's such a fun time of year and they work all months of the year to get these apple orchards ready for you to enjoy for just a short couple of months. Um, you heard her talk about the upkeep, right? And the fungicides and the pesticides and the spray regimens are, are really one of the key things if you're interested in a home orchard, whether it's plums or peaches or apples. Um, and peaches, us being the peach state, I've said this before, peaches are pretty difficult. They are, It's not just a given that anybody can grow peaches here in Georgia. Apples may be a little less challenging, but they still have their challenges as well. Um, and you really could call your county extension agent through the University of Georgia Extension Service. Get in touch with your county extension agent if that's something you're interested in because you can have grafted uh, apple trees, grafted fruit trees, kind of learn where they come from, why they've been grafted the way they are, you know, certain resistance to disease or something like that. But uh, wow, what they do is just astonishing and how they're able to keep those apple trees Uh, looking nice, pruned, and trained the way they need to be. So anything you want to plan for North Georgia, like I said, whether it's seeing the leaf color change, uh, wineries, breweries, uh, anything that's agritourism, you really need to check this website out. It is georgia-agritourism.org, georgia-agritourism.org. And there you can find a map of different farms, different things to do. And then on my website, I link to that in case that's easier for you to remember, um, wsbradio.com slash green and growing and scroll all the way down to events. And there you will see the link to Georgia's agritourism site, uh, pick your own apples, pumpkin festivals that are going on. And there's a lot of things today down in the city of Roswell, Youth Day Celebration And I think the theme this year is uh, parks, right? Love your parks. And there are so many cool parks in Roswell as well. So bring the kids out to that. There's the Stonecrest Fest. If you live out east in DeKalb County off I-20 way, that's going to be a day of fun as well. And the Georgia National Fair down in Perry, Georgia. But the Honey Show is this Saturday. So for anybody interested in beekeeping and all of that, that is awfully fun if you head down to Perry, Georgia. Uh, and we'll be talking to Pike Nursery later in the show, of course, at 8.30. Charles Lampkin will join us talking about trees, but I'm sure he's going to mention the Pike Nursery class today. It's a make-and-take class, which sometimes you just go and listen to a lecture. You're told about how to do certain things. But the make-and-take class, you pay a little bit of money, you get all the supplies, and I'm not even going to tell you what it is, but it's really, really fun. So you get to actually take what you make home uh, from this class at Pike Nursery today. So for details on that, check them out at pikenursery.com. 404-872-0750. Your calls when we come back. And coming up at 7 o'clock, Julie Garrity and Tracy Gables growing your own cut flower gardens, bulbs, seeds, anything you want to ask them. They'll be in studio with me live. You're listening to 95.5 WSB. 
All right. Thank you, Scott Slade. So we're back at Check of the Weekend Weather, brought to you by Finley Roofing. Let me find it. I don't even know why I have to read it online. It's pretty easy. Uh, mostly sunny today and tomorrow. I can remember that. And even into Monday and Tuesday with highs around the mid-70s, low around 48. Uh, this morning's low was like 58, 56, so it's a little warmer this morning than tomorrow morning, but cool, breezy, and dry. And just uh, have that be a reminder to you for uh, the threat of fire as well. When everything is this dry and windy, keep the burning to a minimum. If you don't have to do it, don't for sure. And keep up with the uh, the burn uh, pro prohibitations, pro the things that you shouldn't do, the burn bans. Yeah, d- keep up with those in your local county, 404-872-0750. This is what I get when I multitask. Uh, going out to the phones and say good morning to Janice. Hey there, welcome to the show. Good oh, morning. Good morning. So you've got a question about a fun tree. Yes, I got this new, uh, well, I planted it in, uh, I think it was July. It's a little a lace leaf Japanese maple, Ooh. and I want to make sure that it makes it through the winter for me. Is there something special I need to do to take care of it? I don't think so, uh, because fall is the best time to establish new trees and shrubs so they can focus a lot more on root growth, and they don't have the the heat stress of the summertime, so the roots are really going to be able to get established and grow. They're not putting as much focus on uh, leaf production, so there's really nothing you need to worry about. If it's about three feet high, um, I would you know just keep an eye on it, go out there every few days and make sure there are no critters that are going to be gnawing at the small little trunk or deer running against it or anything like that. Sometimes you may have to have a little chicken wire fence or whatever around a new trunk just to protect it from getting knocked over. The, the biggest threat to Japanese maples is a late spring frost. Because in spring, just like every other tree, they're starting to leaf out. And then if there's a chance of a late spring frost, say like in April, that's going to kill back a lot of the new leaves. So that's really when you want to be a little more prepared for a cold snap. But right now, mm-hmm. as we're just gradually getting into this cooler weather and there's not something so sudden like a, a an instant frost or whatever, I think it's going to be fine. Just make sure you keep it watered consistently. It needs a good inch per week. So... Uh, with no rainfall, that's on you to go, you know, uh, out there with a the hose and water it. And mulching it is a great idea. Just don't put the mulch up against the trunk. Keep it back a couple of inches. Okay. And then in the spring, what do I need to fertilize it with? What kind of fertilizer would be the best for it? Generally, just a 10-10-10 um, is good. And, and use the label to follow, you know, how much to use. But probably yeah. just one good fertilization in the spring is going to probably you know, boost it enough to where you're going to be really, really happy with it. And is it a spot that has a little bit of dappled shade? Uh, It does have a little bit. Uh, Where I moved from in Lawrenceville, I had a Japanese maple. And actually, the guy, when my husband and I went to get it, he said, well, you don't need to set it in the sun because they will not make it in the sun. And, you know, actually, that tree was in direct sun. I wanted it so bad, but that was the only spot that we really had that we wanted. And it was in the sun all day long. And it was beautiful. I mean, beautiful. So that's why why I have a new one where I'm at now, 
because, you know, I thought, well, you know, that one made it. Maybe this one will, yeah. too. Now, it is. I mean, the sun can be very brutal. There's shade cloths that a lot of professionals will use to protect them. Like, this summer was pretty brutal for a lot of maples. Um, but as far as going into the wintertime, Janice, I think you're okay. Keep it watered. Keep it mulched. Protect that trunk from any little critters. I hate to, but we got to let you run. Coming up on the 7 o'clock hour, so much more to come on Green and Growing here with Ann and DeMarco. 404 872 750